Okay, good morning everybody. So we're going to be learning this morning. I want to thank Dr. Yossi Simpson who's sponsoring the Il Nishma Sarav Shimon Aron Ben Arav Eliyahu. His father, whose yard side will be this Friday on it's Zion. Zion Shvat. Arimun Shubili in the Nishma side. Thank you for participating in this, uh, in this public learning with Torah together. Um, also, <coughs> our limud will be Lirifua Gedalia Yitzhak Ben Sarah, um, um, who, um, David's father, who is your learning, which should be Lirifua Shilema, and uh, also Lirifua um, Nishmas Shena Bas Monachal, that's my, my brother, who's, um, who's your outside, who's on Dalit Shvat, I think which should be Nishma So, so the, de- the Shvat debate. This is a very interesting topic, as it happens. This topic is going to expand our consciousness. So we have to be ready just for an expansion of, in breadth and depth of what, it, what we've ever thought about. And I, I, don't, I think it will live up to its expectations. So here's how, here's how it goes. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Shvat for a moment. Shvat is, um, is an interesting month in the fact that there is a debate about Shvat. And when you talk to our children, what is the primary function of Shvat? As it happens, not so simple. Let's take a quick look over here. Here's what the Mishnah says in Rosh Hashanah. First Mission in Rosh Hashanah. The Mishnah tells us, There are four days which are considered Rosh Hashanah. So on the first of Nisan is when the year starts counting for kings. So that's when you say it is the third year to King X, Y, Z. The first of Elul is the Rosh Hashanah for tithing animals, meaning to say animals born in a particular year. That's the cutoff, that's the tax date for Maeser. Maeser Behema. It is on the first of Tishrei. And then on Rosh Hashanah, it is, on the first of Tishrei, it is Rosh Hashanah for all. The Shemitah cycles and Yovel cycles, that's the cutoff point. And comes back to us, The Yeshiva of Shammai's founding would say that when is the Rosh Chodesh for Ilan? Yesterday, Rosh Chodesh Shvat. However, Hillel was the one who would say it would be on 2 Bishvat, on the 15th of Shvat. Fascinating. So there's a debate as to when the demarcation of two Bishvat essentially is. That's unfair. Uh, uh, moron. There's a demarcation when the Rosh Chodesh or the Rosh Hashanah for Ilanos actually is. When do we go out there? When does the JNF make their appeal? When do we start digging in the backyard? All is a very big debate. It happens to be we pass skin like Vesila, so it's two Bishvat. But there is a, um, another side to the coin, and that is Beis Shammah. And the question that stands in front of us is, is, is there a way to make sense of this machlokes? Is there a bigger machlokes um, at stake over here, rather than simply dates? That's the question that, uh, that's at hand. So, rather than looking at this in a micro perspective and saying, okay, you know, let's try to, you know, to, uh, you know pull apart, and the Gomorrah doesn't, after you've done it in Rosh Hashanah, try to pull this apart and say, well, maybe it's about the end of the rain cycle, and the beginning of the, uh, the, beginning of the sap flowing, and all the different options that we have. Maybe there's something bigger. Could we say there's something bigger that's at stake over here? So this, this is what the, the question is at, is at hand. Whenever, whenever we pose such a question about Beishah and Beisil, you know what happens? People say the following. Ah, I know why this, what the Machlokes is about Beisil and Beishamai. Machlokes of Beisil and Beishamai was this big Machlokes, right? He, was, he, had a, you know, he had a short temper. Remember the story about this? The Geru comes in the one foot and he chases him away. Beishamai was much more of a Machbed person. So therefore, all his opinions are much more machmir. That's what we say, we generally say about Beis Shammai. And Beis Hillel is more easygoing about things, and that's why he's usually more make-kill, and that's why it expresses itself in the story. The problem is, 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 if you know, that's a bit of a superficial way of looking at things for a number of reasons. Number one is, not all cases is Beis Shammai machmir. There are many cases where Beis Shammai is in fact make-kill. Happens to be in, in a certain area, he's always machmir. We're going to get to why that is. But in general, it's not true that Beisham is always Machmir. Number two, when you go to Pirkei Avos and you see what is the identity of each person, Pirkei Avos was teachings that were, would, were said by particular people. Why was it that certain sayings were attributed to particular people? Meaning, what, 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 what's the point? I mean, weren't those, those ethics <coughs> predominant, we'll call it, you know, 
across history. Why were those people once attributed with that? They, they, they emanated that. They, they, emanated, their they became, they, they were, they, they represented that statement. You know what the statement of Rabbi Shammai was, of Shammai himself was? What's the statement of Shammai in Pirkei Avos? What is the statement which exemplifies who he was, how he acted, what he, what he saw when he looked in the mirror? What was the statement of Beishamai? Anybody know Beishamai himself before Beishamai? So the, the statement is that in, in Perakalat Mishnah, Tesvav says, Beishamai Omer, Make your Torah fixed, good. Do a little, uh, uh, say, a, say a little and do a lot. Receive everybody with a pleasant face. What was that? <coughs> Sounds like the, Birkas, the reflection of the Birkas Yaakov. And you say at the end of the day, Beis Shammai was the person, what did he exemplify? He exemplified a countenance which welcomed everybody. You know, to, to, to create a straw man and say, you know, he was this person who was, you know, more makpid and, you know, he, that was why he was more makpid. It's not fair. It's not true. There has to be something bigger than that. So here's what we're going to do. Um, what we're going to try to do is explore across the board a number of cases where they Shammai and Beis Hillel argue. And remember, by the way, base and base means to say the yeshivas which were established after their lifetime. The reason why that's significant is for the following reason. Is Shammai and Hillel themselves were not actually technically what are called Tanayim. Tanayim are usually the teachers in the Mishnah. Shammai and Hillel were an important crux, an important hinge in Jewish history. They were into a period called Zugois, the pairs. Here's how it worked. <coughs> after Bias Shading was after Bias Rishon was destroyed, all the Jews, or most of the Jews, went down to Babylonia into exile. They remained there under the Persians. They returned to Israel under the or, <coughs> under the control of Anshe Knesses Agdola. Ezra Hasoyfer, Mordechai was part of this. Nehemiah, Chagah, Zachary, Malachi, all the last prophets, beginning of the leadership, became under Anshe Knesses Agdola. They didn't have a king. They couldn't have a king. Why couldn't they have a king? Because they were Persian subjects, right? Persians were not exactly interested in having, you know, um, uh, any cessations from the Union at that point in time. So what happened was, is they had their own, they had, we'll call it governors under Persia, and at that point in time, they had leadership. Now, interestingly enough, after Antichrist of the dollar ceased to be, there was a single control of the generation for five straight generations, and those were called Zugots. They were pairs, which means to say the entire Jewish leadership was under the control of two people. One was an Avvestin, and one was a Nos. Okay? Those were the two people. And those were the controlling people of those five generations. There was centralized leadership, which means to say there was no Machloikas. Whenever there was a debate about something, it was voted upon, and it was unilateral. There was one way to do things. There wasn't Machloikas. Machloikas only started developing at the end of the Zugos. Who was the last of the Zugos? Hila and Shammah. Hillel and Shammah were the last two before the Tanaim period expanded. And Machloikas developed. There's very many reasons why Machloikas developed. And Machloikas wasn't voted upon by the times of Hillel and Shammai. But be it as it may, it's important to know that the difference between Hillel and Shammah is when Machloikas started being preserved, and Basil and Shammah was when that started pro proliferating. Okay, so this is, where, this is an important juncture in Jewish history to be able to understand. Let's try to, let's try to um, express it um, in the following terms. So let's take a look at some Machloikas then. Here we go. Okay. So let's take five particular cases. Now what we're going to do is we're just going to do a cursory um, investigation of five particular cases in across Shais, try to just note what they are, and then come back at the end and say, is there something which pulls them together? Is there something which holds any maybe a common theme throughout? Okay, so let's, let's start at the beginning. First debate, let's start, start over here. The bracha on Havdalah. Here we go. The Mishnah in Brachas says the following. <coughs> There's many, many disputes between Beisila and Beishama as to what you do during a su'uda, during a meal. Here's one of the examples. The mission goes through many. Now, by the way, just to be fair, we're not going to go through every single debate. There are hundreds of debates between Hillel and Shammai and Beisila and Beishama. But what we are going to do is we're going to pick a, a, pick a few which are exemplary of a particular worldview. Okay, so here we are. Here's the Machlekes. Beishamai Omrim, Shebara Mo'or Ha'esh. And Hashem created the fire. Notice singular. And Beishilal Omrim, Boire Mo'or Ha'esh. Which we say every, we say and love every Motsi Shabbos. Hashem creates the fires. Okay, so the Nusach of Birkas Boire Mo'or is a matter of debate between Beishamai and Beishilal. What is at stake? The Gomorrah of Daph or two later says, here we are, let's go look for that. Ela Omar Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef explained, 
Babara Ubavoire Ubavoire Kuli Amaloi Pligi Dabara Mashma. Don't focus on the words Bara or Boire. He created in the past or creates in the present. That's not what the, the debate is about. Keep Pligi, where is the argument? Where the fire is viewed in the singular or the, where the fire is viewed in the plural. Okay. The Beishamai Sovri, Kadanura Ikabanura. Beishamai says, when you look at fire, it's one fire. Whereas Beishelel Sovri, Tuvanuri Ikabanura. When you look at a fire, there's many different parts to a fire. What does that mean? Rashi explains the different colors. When you look at a fire, there's the white part and the orange part and the red part, sometimes even a green part, depending on how hot your fire is in spectrum of heat. Okay, fantastic. Machloik is, is, do we look at fire as a single unit or do we look at fire as multiple um, parts? That's debate number one. Now remember, folks, while we're talking about this, in the back of our minds, we should be thinking about Rosh Chodesh Shvat or Tumishvat. Right? Fire, trees, we're hoping the two don't mix. What is going on over here? What is, what's the Machloikas over here? Let's go on to the next stage. Very famous Machloikas over here. Beisham Beisil. Neros Chanukah. The Gemara tells us that there are three tiers of lighting Chanukah candles. Tier number one is that every house has one candle for one night, which means to say, you look in the window, day seven, there's one candle for one house. Tier number two, what's called Mahadrat, better, a better level, is, is that not, it's not one candle per house, it's one candle per person. So you look in the window, there's five people in the house, there's only five candles every night of Hanukkah. And then the, the level which we know, we're, we're appreciative of, <coughs> Mahadrim in a Mahadrim, the fascinating side point question is for him, because why is that in Hanukkah, that, we're, we, that the norm has become the Mahadrim in a Mahadrim. Why is it that Hanukkah is the excessive in a certain sense? There's something fascinating about this. Why Hanukkah adopts that? But in the third level, there's a debate. And this is the debate over here, between Beisham and Beisilel. Let's take a quick look. It says over here, um, oh, second line. Second line, it says, Beishamai Oimrim, Beishamai would say, Yom Rishon Madlik Shmonim, Yikan Va'elach, Poiches Vahayim. So Beishamai would say, day, day one is eight candles, day two is seven candles, six, oh wait, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. However, Beishilal Oimrim, Beishilal would say, Yom Rishon Madlik Achas, Mikan Va'elach, Moisli Vahayim. Beishilal, as we know, and we do, and we practice, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Debate as to candles going up or candles going down. That's the Machlaikas by Shalom Beisilah. Fascinating. Before he gives a few um, options as to why that is, Ula suggests um, uh, the following. He quotes Rabbi Yehud, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef, and he says that Time to Beisilah, Kenegad Yom Amenichnasim, but Time to Beisilah, the Shama Kenegad Yom Amenichnasim, but Time to Beisilah, Kenegad Yom Amenichnasim. Do you focus on the days going in, the days going out? Okay? Fascinating. So we have a Machlaikas Beisilah by Shama about going up or going down. That's a, a re recap. Tubishvat, Rosh Chodeshvat. Why Machlokes? Machlokes. Many fires, one fire. Next stage. All the candles going up, the candles going down. Okay. Let's, let, let's add to this. Next case. Let's take a look at forgotten mandals. Now we move into a completely different arena. This is an arena which is talking about the halachas which, which govern agriculture. One of the mitzvahs that we have the opportunity of doing, and thankfully uh, being a resident in an agricultural society in the land of Israel, we've had the opportunity of coming back to this. For centuries we were urban. <coughs> we were ghettoed. Individuals, we were ghetto, ghetto populations. When we moved back to agriculture, these mitzvahs became accessible to us. One of the mitzvahs is called shechacha. Shechacha literally means forgetting. Okay, it's the only mitzvah you can do by not thinking about it. Okay, so um, what, what, what happens is you're now, you've gathered all your grain into piles, you're, um, and you as the farmer are now going around the field, you put it all onto the, the wagon, and you come back at the end of the day, you look back and you say, oi, I left that pile in the corner. I left that pile over there. I didn't see it. I forgot about it. Halacha is, can you go get it? No, no you can't go get it because that's called shikha. That is now, the, it belongs to Daniel. It's one of the three mitzvahs, Lekha, Shikha, Peh, which apply to the gathering process of the field and, and um, what the uh, Daniel are entitled to. Fascinating. So here we go. Here's the debate about Beisil and Beishamai. The, the, the Mishnah says in Perek Vav in Peah, Kol Oimrei Hasodesh shall kav kav ve'echot shall avaras kavim shachacha What's going on over here? You have in the, in the field all the piles of a regular size. The size is a cub. A cub is a particular measure of grain. So if you were to go across this field and you were to look at this field, you'd see a regular size of pile. However, one pile happens to be the space of four cubs. It's a mega pile. Okay? So what, the question is the following. What happens if you forget the mega pile, right? So if you, you, you bring in all the small piles and you forgot the mega pile, which is now the size of four. Extra kicker in, the, in, the, in, 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 in this is that in the later mission in Peah, Beishamai says that if you were to forget four piles next to each other, doesn't, that, that's considered not Shekha, because obviously there's a reason you left it there, right? 
Meaning four piles is too much of a forget. Uh, you know, to, to say that you really, really forgot it's that. It's something that you can go back. Too substantial. too substantial. So what happens is the following. What happens if I have one pile, but it's the size of four piles? What's the halacha? Beishamai says, Beishamai says, Enoshichah. We look at it as if it really is four piles. It, is, it looks like one pile, but it really is the, the, the space of four piles. Why do I call it four piles? Because look around the rest of the field. What's the capacity of each pile? One cub. This, this one is four cub. So clearly it's the outlier, and we look at it as four piles. Not Shechah. Hillel says, no, it is Shechah. By the way, let's just take a quick, a quick stop over here. Who's more machmir? Hillel's being more machmir. Here's saying you can't go out to your field to get your pile. Beishamah is saying, no, no, you can get it. It's not shikha. By the way, just to point out, this is an example of here. Beishamah is more mekil in this particular case. Okay, one debate. So the debate is about whether you look at a conglomerate pile. Do you see it as one or four? <coughs> is it one pile or is it four piles massed together? More than that, the next mission tells us the following. Completely separate case. What happens if the pile that you left in the field is a pile that's left next to something which is unique? So you leave it next to a haystack. You leave it next to uh, your, your cattle. You leave it next to your, your, your kalim. Right? So it's not just any pile. It's not the one you know left in that corner. It's left next to something. Do you say it, it, it's a simon? What, what's a simon uh, for, Barbara? Maybe you've got to remember. So at this point in time, do you remember? No, you forgot. But the point is, if you left it next to something, you're obviously going to come back for. So Beis Shammai says, in this particular case, you're going to come back for it. There's a reason you left it next to your, let's say, your plow, or whatever else it is. Beis Hillel, Irem, too bad, still Shechah. Again, Beis Hillel is Machmira. Okay? Another example. Now you think, oh wow, this is, this, is, this is really stretching us, because, you know, okay, candles, fire, you know, Tumishvat, but agriculture, what is going on over here? What is the common theme? Let's go a little further. Two more, two more very fascinating cases. The next is the following. This is a very fascinating debate. The Torah tells us the following. <coughs> the, the Torah tells us that there's certain money or there's certain items which are simply not appropriate to bring in the base of Megdash. Why? Because they were used for really inappropriate um, 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 activities. So, for instance, the example is, is what happens if, if the, an Esnan Zona means to say that this is the payment that a person offered to a, a woman of the night um, and... This, this, let's say the, uh, what, was the, what was offered as payment was money or grain or whatever else it was, some sort of barter, that, that item itself can never be used in the base of Megash. It's not appropriate, right? Right? So the question is the following. There's a debate in the Gemara in Baba Kama, is the following. What happens if, and now again, the Gemara is not talking about the practicalities of whether this really occurs. The Gemara is talking about the logical parameters of this um, over here, which is which is what we are, we are we're focusing on. The machlok is the following. What happens if you have? By the way, the other, the other option is a mechir kelev. Mechir kelev is you sell your dog. You know, so can you use the mat? Now we all love our dogs and everything, but um, <laughs> but, but in the end of the day, um, in the end of the day, um, that that's not really appropriate to be bringing into the base of English. That that value or that grain or that barter, whatever it is. So whatever. Let's say let's say um, this, this mechir kelev, this esnan zayin, whatever it was, was used for an activity which is deemed. Sub, um, subpar activity is now transmuted or, or processed into something else. So what happens if you take the olives that were used as a payment and you squash them into oil? You take the grain, you process that grain. Can you bring the byproduct as a, um, into the base of Migdash? Meaning to say, do you view this as do you view this as a new as a new entity or not? So, so actually the option is not bitter, but rather the machlokes is shino. Can shino is is shino is technically the terms we use? Is does does change Affect a new entity. So Beis Shammai says, That's what happens if, you, if the, 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 the object you used was, was um, wheat and you made it into flour, um, olives and you turned it into oil, grapes and they were turned into wine. There's a it's So a Gurion of Masburg said, so the Maklokas is Beishamai Beishilal. Yes, exactly. Does it, can you use it on a, on a Kaddish level? This is, this is the Maklokas. So Beishamai Beishilal say whether Shinu is Koine. That's a very interesting and fascinating Maklokas. Whether Shinu is Koine is dependent on this Maklokas Beishilal Beishamai. And they actually learn it from the words over here because is it Heim, Ramishim, Do you say that the word is Heim, Veloishinu, Yehem? Does the word Apostle says them? 
Is it excluding them? And there and, and there changes or not? This is my like in the other way just over in the fossil. Why is this relevant to Allahulabs? Let's go out of this over here. Yeah, why is it relevant to Allah? Because the same Akhlokas applies itself on a more practical level. What happens if a person, I hope this is not practical on a, um, or, um, for anybody in the room, but let's say a person steals something, and now what one stole was, let's say, grain, and now one processes that grain into flour. And now one feels, either one feels a sense of terrible conscience, and wants to give back in return, or the police capture the person, whichever way it comes. And now the time comes for retribution. So what do you do? You need to pay back the money. So when you pay back, I now have fine flour. So what do I do? Do I give back the flour, or do I say, no, 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 the processing means that it's now mine. I'll give back the value of the grain that I stole, but in the end of the day, the flour's mine. I put effort into that. I change it. It's a new item. I didn't steal from you flour. I stole from you grain. Right, same Akhlaikas over here. And again, my Shema basically will argue whether or not you say, Shino use coin it. You say that the change made it into a new item, or do you say no, it's a byproduct of the original item or not? Okay, just an, an, a, really an, an adaptation of what we just saw about processed products. This is processed products too. So here we have it, folks. These are not all the cases. We're going to do a few afterwards. But here are some of the cases. So let's, let's do a quick recap. We have Tuvishvat being Rosh Hashanah's on 15 or 1. Okay, that was what we started with. Then we talked about five particular cases. Case number one, whether we view Borei Me'orei Ha'esh or Borei Me'orei Ha'esh. Then we talked about Hanukkah candles going up or going down. Then we talked about forgotten bundles. What happens if you put it, if, it, if it's a, me a mega bundle which you view as individual bundles or not? Or another example is you leave a bundle next to your plow, next to your cattle, and you're going to come back to it at work. And then we talked about Shinokone, whether we say that a change affects, um, a, a, we'll call it a unique status on the item. Those, that's the, 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 some, of the, some of the examples that Akhlaik said. So what do you say now? You can't say Beishama is always Mahmir, right? Because Beishama is not always Mahmir. But what, what can you say? I mean, these are so disparate. These are so far across the board. There's very little to say, right? And that's what I would, I would have thought. Any, any, any takers? Just before you go Something about holism. Is the whole greater than some of its parts? Is it equal to quantity? Okay, so, you, so Dr. Yates is pointing out a very good point that there seems to be a notion of whole and parts. That's very, very good point. I mean, the, the bundle, the parts, right, the whole process. That's very interesting. Inclusive or individual? Inclusive or individual, right. So we're going in the, in the right direction. It's a little more than that. We're going in the right direction. <coughs> this, this is a very fascinating debate. So you, we as individuals, we as, 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 um, as I, I will call as pedestrians in Judaism, you know, may not necessarily, I'm including myself and I would say most people alive today, you know, would look at this and, and say, well, there's a lot of my folks and we're going to get in the right direction. But here, let's turn, let's turn to a person who's actually on a different plane. plane. His name is Rav, Yo, Rav Shlomo Yosef Zeman. Okay, so Rav Shlomo Yosef Zeman was the most remarkable personality of the last century. He was born in the late 1800s and... Uh, and he, he, he is very unique in many, many ways. He got his smicha, just to give you a sense. He got his smicha from Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Shneosan, so that's the Friedeke Rebbe. He also got his smicha from the Rogat Shavagon and the Rabbi Yechiel Michal Epstein, the author of the <coughs> So we're talking about, you know, a person who is really, you know, you know the, the predominant um, European god of. He was also unique in the sense that not only was the Rav of the town at a very young age, and he, he, was, he was a very unique person. He sat on Ukrainian parliament in the early 20s when they had their brief span of independence. He was, he was one of the, <coughs> the editor, uh, editors of a Torah journal with, um, with Rav uh, Yecheskel Abramsky and was jailed in the communist era, in the early communist era for, uh, for dispersing Torah. He moved in the 30s to Israel and became a predominant religious Zionist, in a sense he was a huge Torah personality, but a supporter of the State of Israel. And uh, in fact, um, he is the original author in 1947, the first volume of Encyclopedia Talmudit. Okay, so he, what we have today, we have to 36 volumes, and we had Rav Steinberg, uh, he was the first person to start this. He has a number of unbelievable sorrows, Ba'alacha, which is really a go-to. He goes through the year in all halachas, he has Yishim Vashitois, where he takes people like the Rogat Shavagon, his Rebbe, and he gives, them, gives a biography, the halachic biography of where they are. I get all my reminders on here, so you can tell me what I'm missing as, as it's happening. If anyone wants to text me in any surprises, you're welcome to. Send them in and we'll see them happy um, coming right at the top over there. Um, and uh, so Rabbi Zevin is, um, is really a remarkable personality in, in many ways. He was very close to the Fidika Rebbe, and when he, in fact, he was instrumental in convincing 
the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the last Lubavitcher Rebbe, to become the Lubavitcher Rebbe at the time. He's a very, very interesting person. Uh, uh, schooled in literary shivers with Hasidic thoughts. He, one of his books is Hasidic Tales. Your dad translated that? Yes, Ricky's, Ricky's father translated his book um, on Hasidic Tales, which is a two-volume, which we thankfully have in the house, thanks to Ricky, um, which is a beautiful description. He really across the gamut. And one of the books that he writes is a book which is called Le'or HaHalacha, In the Light of Halacha. And in it he has many essays. One essay which you're probably most familiar with is an essay called Mishpat Shylock, where what he does is he takes the version to Venice of Shakespeare, and he says, is it even true? Could it ever have been that Shylock would have demanded a pound of flesh? And he has an incredibly long essay described discussing that. Very, very fascinating. And he has an addition to that. Maybe one day we'll get to do that, the, the Merchant of Venice essay. Very fascinating. He's a very eclectic individual. But what he does is he has a, he has a short essay called Lishitos Beisila and Beishamai. And he says, in fact, there is a common ground which sails through all of them. So let's take a look at what Rav Zeman himself says. Really a fascinating individual. Here we go. So this is a little bit of the background. Here we are. Okay. So here is... This is just really his thesis area over here. And I'd like to just focus on some of the words that he that Rav Zevin says. So we're going to just do a little bit of this paragraph and get a sense of where he's going. I'm starting on this on the second line of here. Rubon. It says, Rubon ha-godel shel oisana halachos hen shel chachomi. He notices that the machlaikas of Basil and Meshamai, generally speaking, not the case that we did so much, are about gzeros. Right? Gzeros is a decree where the, the chachomim introduced, we'll call it a parameter around a, where they wanted to protect the concept. Okay, so there's a usually a machlokas in Beishel or Beishamai, a siyag, a, 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 a parameter of protection for the idea. So Beishel and Metzamtim and Moesai. So in those cases, Beishamai is in fact usually machmir, but Beishel is a little more um, relaxed and doesn't, 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 isn't machmir in those cases. Mat chunosa shel gzera bichlal. What is the concept of a gzera in the first place? He says, Ein gozrim stam isur al ezer davar. Ela im kein yesh makom lachshosh shemitot davar zeh yavau gam nidei isur kavod. When do you make a gzera? You say the following. Look, there's a particular activity you're involved in. Is the activity itself bad? Not really. But we know psychologically that by doing this activity, you're going to probably potentially get to another activity which is negative. Right? So therefore we're going to make a parameter. Don't do this activity. Example being, just a classic example, muktzah. Okay, so Mukta is Xeromidrabon on, on many levels. Some argue that some of it is actually maybe more than that. But nonetheless, we're going to put a parameter around moving a pen because the pen may, handling a pen may lead to writing with a pen. So that's an example of Xero. Okay. The real Isur, the real McCoy is not in front of us right now. This item, this activity, is your gateway. Into that. This neutral activity right now isn't necessarily bad itself, but it has the potential of leading to something which is negative. In this action, there is potential for negativity. Which can lead to something negative. Beishamai wants to clear, clean the world from any, even we'll call it, just tastes or reflections of negativity. Wants to eradicate even potential pitfalls, potential arrivals at negativity. Therefore, more machmir in the case of gzeros, because he wants to eradicate the potential for leading to negativity. Beishamai says no. In front of us, it's neutral. We're not going to think about all potentialities, <coughs> all options. We're going to look at the right now, here and now. And that's where we're going to stop. There's no problem right now. So it's going to be a little more lax when it comes to Xeris. So what he goes on to say, he says, I want to take this as a proof. The difference between which is our potential, and which is in our action, is going to be the underlying principle between many halachas and always looks at the potential of something. And Basil says, look, we're looking at what it actually is. And he goes on to say this. And by the way, what I did not bring, but the next paragraph, he says, very humbling. He says, I'm not telling you 
But this is going to explain all cases of Beis Elabe Shammai, because not all of them are talking about potential and, and, and actual. And also, I'm not telling you that all the cases I'm bringing to you are going to be the ironclad example of it. But together, you may see that some are stronger, some are less strong, but they exemplify this. So let's go back for just a quick second, okay? Uh, let's see if I can go back on this in, this in this particular way. Yes, I can go back. Side swiping this way. Okay, there we go. We're reducing the potential. Here. So yeah, oh, so here we go. Let's take a look at our five cases quickly uh, for a moment. The Vulnagon on his parish called Shnois Eliyahu on this on this Gemara, on this mission actually, says the following. Let's try to understand this. There's a machlokes over here about Borom or Aish or Borei Morei Aish. Says the Vulnagon, a very fascinating um, insight, a very incisive insight. <coughs> in general, is a bracha, what type of bracha is it? What's the function of that bracha? <coughs> so that, that, that's our of it should be close to that, but what, what type of bracha is it? What are we expressing? What, what type of feeling are we expressing? Shabbat, <coughs> gratitude, appreciation of the fact that God endowed us with fire, right? Unlike the monkeys who don't have the, the red flower, we have ability to access fire, right? So... And, and it said that the, 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 the Medrash tells us that it was on Motzi Shabbos that Adam was endowed with the capabilities of getting to fire in the first place, which is why on Motzi Shabbos we actually light the candles on our dollar. What does Beis Shammai say? Beis Shammai is saying, we're thanking and appreciating Hashem, the notion, the concept of fire, which means to say, God gave us the concept of fire, which is bara in the past tense, mo'ar ha'esh, the idea of fire. Whatever expresses itself, spark, plugs, electricity, whatever else it is in later generations, that's fun. I'm not talking about applications. I'm talking about <coughs> the original potential which was given. What's basically saying? Shaboi Ray Mo'ariaesh. This week, you know how many applications I'm using of fire? You know, my, thank God, when the temperature is in the low 30s, I'm using fire because I have a gas heater in my basement, maybe an oil heater, and I was using fire to be able to heat my house. That's one application of it. Boy Ray, he creates. All the different applications of fire. Are you looking at the concept or are you looking at the applications? The potential or the actual? That's what the Gavilnagan says in understanding that Mishnah. Let's go to Hanukkah for a second. This is remarkable. What happens in Hanukkah? In Hanukkah, there's a miracle where a certain amount of oil lasted eight days. So let's look, about look at this. In potential, when is the potential of the miracle at its greatest? On the first day, because on the first day, there's a potential of this oil now lasting eight days. Whereas in actuality, when is the miracle increasing? Every day, it actually increases. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, in physics, the conservation of energy. The theory of conservation of energy. So, for example, you know, let's say you take um, you know, an object and you hold it up here. Every object has a particular amount of potential kinetic energy. Right now, there's a certain amount of potential energy, which is measured, which is a function of its height. So now I'll give it more potential energy because it's over the floor. As it falls, as an object falls, there is an interchange where the conservation of total energy remains the same, but potential energy is decreasing, and kinetic energy, which is energy of movement, is increasing. The two always add up to the same thing because that's the rule of conservation of energy. Now, <coughs> happens to be that this is exactly what Beis and Beis Shammai are saying. This is the original conservation of energy idea. What, what Beis Shammai is saying is the potential of the miracle is decreasing. Beis Shammai, Beis, 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 that's what Beis Shammai says. Beis Hillel is saying... That's true, but the actuality of the miracle is increasing. So that at the same time, it's the object almost falling, losing potential, increasing kinetic, kinesis. That's what's going on in the Machlokas of Fascinating. The same idea, potential, actual. You put this in a footnote. He wasn't as sure about this one, but I, thought, I think it's an unbelievable um, um, point. Let's go further. Forgotten bundles. Let's take a look back into the bundles of here. Here you have a big bundle. A big bundle which is the size of four, because the rest of the field are the same smaller cut. What do you do? The Machlokas is... Do you look at this big bundle and say, right in? We look at this as if it is divided into four or not. Meshamah says, I'm looking at the potential of the whole thing. The rest of the field is in pieces, so I'm going to look at this as four pieces together. Ah, it looks like one bundle in actuality, but potentially I know it's four because that's what you do with the rest of the field. Meshamah says, no, you don't look at the potential uh, potentialness. It's a bundle. It's one bundle. It's a big bundle, but it's a bundle. So therefore, the, that's considered shirucha. For the same thing. When a person puts it next to his plowshare, he leaves a bundle behind his plowshare. Is at this very moment he, he remembering it? The answer is, no, he forgot it. That's why it's in the field. But the fact that you put it there means to say, potentially, you really wanted to remember it. At this point in time, you're not remembering it. But the fact you put it there means, potentially, you know you're going to come back for it. Of course you're going to get your plowshare at the end of the day. You don't want to leave that out in the rain. 
So the point is, is that you've now created the potential, even though that isn't actualized right now. So Beis Shammai says, well, of course that's not Shekhar, you're going to come back to it, even though you don't know it not right now. Beis Hillel says, no, actually, you forgot it. If somebody were to ask you, do you have all your grain? The answer would be yes. So you forgot it. That's it. Right now, you forgot it. That's what basically is saying. It's saying, Machmak is again our process of process products when it comes to Esnan Zona, whether it comes to Shinokone, uh, when it comes to stolen objects being returned. When I look at an olive, do I look at the olive as anything <coughs> the olive can become? Or do I look at the olive as what it is? Basically, I'll say, look, at the end of the day, an olive is an olive. So once I've squeezed it and now it's in a bottle, it's not an olive anymore. <coughs> Beis Shai says, no, but incorporated into the olive was the potential to become olive juice or olive oil, right? That's the that's way I look at it. So incorporated into the object itself is all potentialities of what it could express. Isn't that fascinating? That's why, that's why Shinoi is not kind of according to Beis Shai, but it is according to Beis Right? Fascinating. How much you look at the potential and the actual. Let's take it further. Let's take a few more examples here quickly. Just to see uh, just the, the, the brilliance of this, of, the, of, the, of this explanation. Here we go. <coughs> let's take, let's take five, five, five cases here. Five quick ways. We're going to do it very, very briefly. Okay? We need, we need pictures, folks. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Good. Case six. So there were the, um, here we go. Here's the, here's the Machlokas. The Machlokas in, uh, um, in the Gomorrah Shabbos, Daf, Yudzayin, Amur, Amur Beis. A Mishnah, actually. The Mishnah says the following. So we're not going to do it inside, but just in potential, just look, look through the, um, the, these Mishnahs. Here's the Machlokas. There's the Machlokas, Ben Shalom, Ben Silam. Can you leave wool to die on Erev Shabbos? So I'm going to take my white wool, I'm going to put it into my tcheles, I'm going to put it into my argamon, I'm going to put it into whatever my color is that I want to do, and I'm leaving it on Erev Shabbos. So Beishel and Beishamai argue. Beishamai says, you can't do that unless you're absolutely sure that the dying process will have finished before Shabbos. Whereas Beishel says, no, it's fine, even if it's going to be on <coughs> Shabbos, you can leave the oil, the wool to die. This, and, and the Gemara debates, what is the, what's really going on over here? This gets into the very complicated circuit, what's called Shvesa scaling. Can your... Can your property be doing work for you? Inanimate property. Can your inanimate property do any work for you on Shabbos? That's what the, the, the Gemara the Bible says. Yerushalmi goes to another level and says, no, it's not about whether you're the Canaan can be doing malacha for you. It's that Beis Shammai understands that when it says you should do all your work on the six days, it means to say that your work should be finished during those six days. You can't have the work extending into Shabbos. Okay, now very fascinating alocha, uh, the debate. La alocha, very complex story, yeah? But now, what's going on here? Says Rabbi think about this for a second. I'm now putting, at this point in time, at 10.13 a.m. on Friday morning, I'm taking the wool and I'm putting it into the pot. At this point in time, have I violated Shabbos? No, because right now it's not Shabbos. But if it takes 13 hours for this to be able to be done, <coughs> therefore at this moment in time, in potentiality, I'm creating an action which will continue into Shabbos. Is it an Isodor or No. It says, Beis it's as if, potentially, you're being Mechal al-Shabbos. So I can't do that. Beis says, Right now, it's Friday. Right, forget the potential. Right now, it's Friday. So that's the Machlokas over here, says the Another example. Preparing for Shabbos. This is the flip side of the coin. Famous, famous debate. Not about Beis Shammai Beis Hillel, but Shammai and Hillel themselves. What it has, here's the story. And they said about Shammai that he would be walking into Gourmet Glut on a Monday morning, and he'd see the most unbelievable cut of meat. So what would he do? He'd immediately go and buy it and put it in his freezer and, and earmark it for Shabbos. But then on Tuesday, when he was just going to get those, uh, you know, the pickles that he, his wife forgot, so he was, she sent him into the store, he sees an even better cut. So what does he do? He goes and buys that for Shabbos. I mean, you say, his entire life was geared towards Shabbos. Whereas, whereas Hillel himself, they said, had, had a different way of doing things. He'd find a great cut on Monday and he'd have a good steak meal on Monday night. He'd enjoy it and he'd say, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. I enjoy Hashem's blessing every day. I'm sure that Shabbos will find something better for Shabbos when it comes. I mean, I'm not looking at, it's not like as longitudinally my whole week is moving towards Shabbos. Every day I'm viewing the blessings of God in this, uh, on this particular day. This is the opposite side of the dying the wool. You see, you see this? Meaning if I can say that Chilol Shabbos can be begin on a Friday, then Oineg Shabbos can also begin on a Monday. Right? If you think about that. Because... My, the Shabbos, the potential of sanctifying Shabbos has begun once the week began. Sunday morning, you're not Rishon, Le Shabbos. I'm starting to count again towards Shabbos. Why? Because the potential <coughs> is in the air. Fascinating. This is, the, this is actually the flip side of the Sigmar in Beit Tezai. Another example. Examples, Maestro Shani in Yerushalayim. Here's the halacha. In general, Maestro Shani is, a, um, is one of the tithes that a person gives, in particular years in the seven-year cycle. Not all years. And you remember that when you have if you're a farmer and you have grain, there's a few things you need to do to it. Number one, you need to give trimmer to the koyen. Then you need to give maaser to the lady. 
The lady has responsibility of his maaser, giving a little bit to the coin, maaser, no maaser. Okay. Then, above and beyond that, there's either maaser ani, which is an extra tithe given to the poor, or an extra tithe, um, an extra tithe given to maaser sheni. What is maaser sheni? Is the bit of grain that you need to take to eat in Yerushalayim. However, there are options as to what to do with that. You can either take that grain and eat it in Yerushalayim, or you could redeem it onto money, which I'll spend later on in Yerushalayim when I go up for Shavuos. And I will eat it in my home, right? But the point is, the kedush of that grain has to go onto money, or has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. That's the halacha of Maaser Sheni. You can imagine in those days what the, you know, what the tax forms would look like, right? So there's, you know, there's the deduction for Shuma. There's the, the Maaser deduction. Has the lady filled in his, you know, I thirty three on the on the Maaser and a Maaser, and then is it a, what kind of year is it? The accountants, uh, the billing would must be very fascinating, depending on how much grain you bought in every year. This is what was going on. So anyway, so what happens is, is the following is can you redeem can you redeem any grain? Meaning well, it, it's 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 hard. I, you know, let's say I, I produce, you know, I owe me tons of produce. I'm not bringing the Maaser Shani of all that into Yerushalayim. It's just not possible. I don't have enough time to eat that all in Yerushalayim at the time that I'm spending in Yerushalayim. So what do I do? So you can redeem it. However there's an exception. You can't redeem something which was brought into Yerushalayim. So let's say I take the Maaser Shani, bring it with me to Yerushalayim and I say, you know what, it would be actually simple if I just exchange this for money and I'll use the money um, you know, to buy flowers in Yerushalayim or, or to go spend time at the Inbal or wherever else it is, right? It doesn't work. Why? Because you brought it into Yerushalayim. So here's the Machlekes. What happens if, instead of bringing in my Maaser Shani, I bring in my whole grain. So I, I happen to be a rather small farmer. I only have one little field. I harvest the entire field. I bring all the grain in a wagon to Yerushalayim. So have I separated my Sashani yet? Yeah. No. So it's all, it's, the, the my Sashani is somewhere in there, but it hasn't been separated yet. Neither has the Choman, neither has the Maaser. Okay? Now I'm walking and I take that wagon and I drive it through Yerushalayim. What's the halacha? Can I redeem the Maaser Sashani, which is going to be taken out afterwards? That's the matter. That's, uh, that's the debate. Be'i Shammai says, you can't. It's Yerushalayim, the, the Mechitas or Koltois, Yerushalayim, so to, so to speak, grabbed that Maaser. It now has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. Whereas Be'i says, no, you can redeem it afterwards after you take it out. What's the Makhlekes? What's the underlying root over here? So Mora Makhlekes says a very simple thing. Do you say, Matnois Shiloi Hurmu, Kemish Hurmur Damyon? Do you say that when I look at this pile of grain, which is right now Tevel, it is, it is untied produce, and I know that if I had to color code it, it would be, you know, a little bit of red, a little bit of green, a little bit of blue, for all the different things that need to be taken out. Do I say that I look at it, uh, look at it as if they have been tarred already, and then the Chetos of Yerushalayim absorbed each of the maestros, and therefore it is now no longer available to redemption? Or do I say no? All this grain is simply tether. Until you actually separate it, it's not Maaser yet. It's really regular, untarred grain. I can take it in, I can take it out, I can take it in, I can take it out, and when I separate it, then I can redeem it. <coughs> That's what that happens. What's the machlaikas? <coughs> Whether you look at the potential of separation or not. That's what Be'i 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 Shammai say. Another example, uh, another example of this <coughs> over here. What happens if, this is a more, more interesting case, what happens if you have a person, you have, you have a, 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 a woman who's married and a man um, who, who potentially commits infidelity, and so she's brought by her husband for um, the case of Saita to the base of Mikdash. And what happens is the husband dies before, before she's, she's tested. So what happens over here? In a case where Rahman al-Sad, there's a, re, the, the, a husband with died marriage, what is the woman entitled to? She's entitled to collect the ksuba. When we, what we read in the Chuppah is a legal document that in the case of divorce or widowhood, Rahman al-Sad, the husband owes the wife a certain amount of money, which is actually, actually is, um, is, um, is, um, has a lien on his property. Good, that's, that's how it works. So what about, the, what about this woman? Does she have the rights to her husband's property as the ksuba? So it happens to be a machlekas. And Shammai would say that, look, she can get the ksuba, she can take it. She has, she has the shtar, she's still married to him. So she has the lien on his property, she can extract it from his inheritors. <coughs> Too bad, you know, they, they, you know, either we're in the middle of a process of, or, you know, a debate as to whether they're really still married or not. That's fine, she can still collect. Basilel says no. Either she drinks to prove the veracity of the relationship that she did not, in fact, commit um, adultery, or she can get the ksuba, but not both. Why? Because she's in a, she had, this marriage right now is in a case of suffolk. Is the question was, were they really married because <coughs> of what happened on the side or not? And until she could prove that, she can't collect the ksuba. What's at, what's at stake over here? See how the way it works. And the Gemara explains the following, a very, very fascinating debate. This is, the, this is, how, this is how it works, the halacha. What is a shtar, what is an illegal document entitled you? The Gemara says that the way Beis Shammah looks at it is, 
a star is viewed when she has the lien on his property. It's as if, who's holding on to that property? She is. Because even though she hasn't collected it yet, we view it as if she is about to collect it, and therefore it's almost as if the property is in her hands. Now there's a sophic. We don't know, is she married or is she not married, right? So what's the rule in a case of sophic? What's the legal parameter? What's the regular rule when we don't know what to do? And money's in doubt? We say the money stays in the place that it always was. The Those who want to extract me, bring Where is the land? Where is the money, according to the base Shammai? In her possession, because she has the shtar, anything which stands to be collected is already collected. So she has the rights to it. Whereas Basilel says, no, we don't say, she may have the shtar, but actually, who's sitting on the property is his inheritors. Right? His dead now. His inheritors are now holding onto the property. She's the one who needs to extract it from them. And she doesn't have proof because there's a suffix. So the question is, who's muhsak? Who's the person who has the rights to this property? Again, are you looking at the shtar, the potential of the collection, or are you saying, well, actually, it wasn't collected? Same achlaikas. Last case, and um, um, over here. And this is the following. We've got the Mishnah in Uktsin, Perik Gimel Ches, asks the following. When do fish become Tamei Mesef? Meaning, when is it that that fish become impure? At what point do we consider them dead? So the Machlokes, Beis Shammai says, Mishi Yotzudu, from the time they're caught in the net. Whereas Beis Hillel Omrim, Mishi Yomutsu, from the time they actually die. Now it happens to be there's usually only a few short minutes between them. But what happens if you have a fish which is still flapping and it touches something? Is it Matani or not? That's the Machlokes. Where again, what's the Machlokes? Potential or actual. When it's in the net, we know what's happening to it. It ain't going anywhere, right? But at the end of the day, says Beis Hillel, until it's actually dead, it's not dead. Similarly, um, the, mission, uh, the next mission says a uh, similar kind of thing. When is honey? Honey is one of the seven liquids which acts as a machshir for tumma, which can transfer tumma through it. When is the honey considered honey that's separated from the hive? So the machlok is basil al-beshama. Basil al says from the time you steam out, you smoke out the bees. And basil says no, from the time that actually you crack it open and you take it out. Meaning gay. The first or the second stage. Once again, potential and actual. So what, what Ravazon does, and he does other cases, but they're more, more, more complicated. What he does is, these are just 10 cases we've seen over here, potential or actual. The application is unbelievable because it's across the parameters, it's across disciplines in halacha and makshava. Let's, let's take it one step further over here. What about Tuvish Shvat and Rosh uh, Chodesh Shvat now? That's where we started. What's the Shvat debate? <coughs> so it happens to be, the, the Gemara explains in Rosh Hashanah, that Beishama says, in the end of the day, most of the rains in Israel have finished, being, have finished falling by Rosh Chodesh Shvat, meaning to say, all the potential for growth has arrived. Whereas, Beis Hillel says, we don't focus on all the rains finishing, but we focus on the fact that the sap actually starts flowing on Tugishvat. Potential or actual. More than that. If you want to take it further. It happens to be that 14 days away from each other, and the 14 days are very important in terms of the moon cycle. Where is the moon right now? If we look out, out, out outside, where is the moon? You can barely see it. Why? Because at this point in time, the moon is only in the state of <coughs> potential. <coughs> At the full moon, at Tuvishvat, on the 15th of the month, that's when it's in its full grow, glowing glow, glory. Which means to say that not only is the Machlokas about the state of original change or not, but the point of, of, of the trees, but it's even in fact a symbol in the month itself, the stages of the month. The potential to grow, become bigger or actually being bigger or not is where, is where they hold. Here's, here's the kicker. This is a very famous statement, we're not going to read it inside in the future. Here's, here's why it's so interesting. There is a famous example that Arizal says is quoted in the Mikdash Melech and later on by Roshner Zaman Uliadi, who says a famous statement by the Arizal. I thought it was earlier, I didn't realize this. Arizal 15 and 1500 says, um, He quotes the Mishnah in says, Which is for the sake of heaven is going to have longevity. And the example it gives is Hila and Shama. But that doesn't make sense, because at the end of the day, Shammai was voted down. Shammai was almost, with the exception of 18 cases, was voted down in almost every single case. So what do you mean, Soifol is kind? No, that's not fair. He's not getting Soifol is kind, says Arizal, no. In the future, in the days of Mashiach, we're going to actually pass like by Shammai. What does Arizal mean? It says Rav Zevin. The point is that in the reality we live with now, we have to live in a Vesilal reality. We live with what's in front of us. We don't, you know, we don't have the scope, we don't have the ability to be able to understand <coughs> the depths of perception that Beis Shammai had. We deal with what's in front of us. 
there'll come a time in the future where we'll be able to appreciate not just what is, but what could be as well. That's the Neshama of the future. Last, la, la, last, last thoughts for the day today. And, this is, and with this we'll end. Now we're coming just a little, a little on the edge of time. I apologize. Here's, the fact, here's, here's how, how, um, how it goes. Here's, it happens to be that we've also had an interesting point in change. Why? Because now we've entered into the set of parashiyos, which are called in Hasidic literature, Shavavim, Shemois, Ro'eira, Avoy, Shalach. Right, so all the, all the parishes over here are, um, are in the, what's called the Shavavim, and some say Shavavim Tat, which is a time of repentance in the midwinter, where there's a lot of period of changes. But some people who are used to fast during this time, there's special things that a person learns during this time. What happens over here? So I heard Rav Rosner quote a very fascinating source. He quotes Alekach Valibu of Rav Shor, who says a very interesting thing. He says it's interesting that Rosh Chodesh Shvat is always around the time of Shavuot. Okay, so Rosh Chodesh Shvat right now is the time of the show in this time of change, of internal development in the middle of the winter. Some people liken it a little bit to the association of the capacity to change. And he says the following. What did we read a week ago? Uh, don't, don't give me the pictures of Donald Trump right now. Just you know, um, it, it says and um, who didn't know Yosef. There's a machlokes. Does he? Was it a new king? Was it a new pharaoh? Or was it the old pharaoh and he forgot? Let's assume it's the old pharaoh and he forgot. What does that mean? Here you have an individual who's living a life, who's you know, the whole country's economy is based on one genius. His name was Joseph. And now you decide to, you know, ignore the annals of history, completely close down the Joseph Museum, and forget about how the economy ran and how Egypt became the center of the world, and I'm going to turn a new leaf. If we as Jewish people don't take advantage of the change, the potential for change at this particular time in the year, the potential of growth, of, um, of, of change, then you know what? The nations of the world also take advantage of that change, but for the negativity. Menachodesh, he's the same guy. But at the end of the day, he doesn't know about us. He doesn't care about us. You, you, you are not capable of turning over a leaf. You're not capable of making changes in your life. Then the people around you make changes in their life. <clears throat> Apropos you. That's the way he says it. Wow, that's very powerful. More than that, that's, that's why I said... That's a bit Shammai's idea. Which is exactly about Shammai's idea. Exactly. And the last, the, last, the last thought is the following. This is quoted in a sefer called Moadim. Moadim, not Bahalacha, but Moadim, not Moadim, Zmanim. I'm trying to remember the name of the Savior, it's called, uh, he says a very fascinating thing. And that is, is that the parshas of the Shavim, Shmois, Vaira, Vaira, are all the parshas are about our lowest and our highest. Meaning Israel's went down to the very depths where we almost had ideological disapparation, if you call it that way. We almost completely lost who we were into crisis mode to raise up to a nation to receive Torah at and at Har Sinai. That's the journey of Shavuot, because the point of this time of year is the potential for change. And we don't have to wait for two Bishras, says Beishamai, because already now, even before the sap has starts flowing, even though snow is still in the forecast, we have the ability to be able to really make that change from Shavuot. Thank you very much. Okay.